week number two of this series called I Once Was Broke But Now I'm Not, where we're trying to help the financial pressures come up off of your life. And so I want to open you up this morning with a great story. It's a story, uh, not actually a story that took place in our church. It's a story that was written about in a blog post by an associate pastor named Tim McConnell. He was an associate pastor at a United Methodist Church in North Carolina. And he wrote about something amazing that happened at a Christmas party one year for his staff. Let me go ahead and read this for you. Uh, Tim wrote in his blog, he said, just a few days before Christmas, several years ago, our church staff was given an unusual as well as a challenging gift. An anonymous donor from our church family had made a gift of several hundred dollars, separated into smaller gifts of $10, $20, and $50 bills. These bills were placed in envelopes. They were handed out to our staff at the Christmas gathering. So some of us received a $10 bill, some got a $20 bill, and some got a $50 bill. And the instructions were that these gifts could be kept if the person needed the money. But they could also be given to someone in need or they could be multiplied in some way for a larger project. So after Christmas, he said, our staff gathered to share the stories of what flowed out of this unique idea. One person had heard of a little boy with a brain tumor who needed surgery at Duke Medical Center. So she took her $10 bill and she challenged others in the church or in the community to match and to multiply the gift. And what happened is that a day later, $2,000 had come into her hands, enabling the family to get their car fixed and to make the trip and to take care of other expenses. Another person took his $10 bill and he gave it to a church member who found a family whose mother was sick and unable to work. The father was laid off of this family and the power to their house had been turned off. So this church member collected more than $600 so that the family would have electricity, they'd have presents for Christmas, and they'd have a little extra money until the parents returned to work. Then there's the story of a $50 bill that found its way into a community benefit to help with funeral expenses. And another staff person gave her gift to put gas into the truck of a family who came to the church office asking for wood to stay warm. The gas took the family to the staff person's house where the entire truck bed was filled with wood. Story after story was told of how the initial gift was given away or multiplied. And this incredible event is a testimony of what great works God can do if we are willing to give what he has given us back to him. One staff person said, what a mighty God we serve. Just look at what his people can do when they are open to his whisperings. Now, I think this is a really cool story, and the reason I wanted to read it to you this morning was because it's a story of the multiplying impact that God has on money. Somehow, a $10 bill turned into $2,000 for a family with a child who had a brain tumor. Somehow, a $10 bill turned into $600 for a family who needed to get through the Christmas season. Somehow, a little bit of money turned into gas, which turned into an entire truck bed full of wood for a family in need. What you're hearing about in these stories is that, is that God has the ability to take any kind of gift that we give and to multiply it so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. And today, I'm going to be talking to you about the multiplying power of God when it comes to money. So this is week number two of this series that we're calling, I Once Was Broke, But Now I'm Not. Here's what the data tells us. It tells us that seven out of ten Americans are under significant levels of financial pressure. Seven out of ten. 
So the vast majority of us, us in this room, as we walk into church today, what is waiting for us back home is financial pressure. And our goal here at our church is to help you to get that off of your life. Because the financial pressure is holding you back. It's costing you more than you can imagine. It's probably costing you your, your mental health, your joy, your delight. Maybe peace in your marriage has been robbed because of financial pressure. And so we want to help to get you out from under it. And so what we're doing as a church in this series is we're going to try to give you two layers of help. One of them is highly practical and the other one are biblical principles. And so on a practical level, what we're doing is when this series is all done, we end this series on October 1st, that night we have the financial learning experience which you heard about in the announcements. So Chad Auckland is a representative from Enjoy Stewardship. He's going to preach the message on October 1st. He's going to lead the financial learning experience from 6 to 8 p.m. This is going to be super, super practical teaching on things like how to get out of debt, how to manage a budget, how to handle cash flow, how to invest. And that's going to lead, if you want to, into next steps where you can actually sign up to get a financial coach to help you, or you can sign up to get into a six-week financial group where you can, you can really walk this journey out even further in your life. So we're, we're, we're helping to bring you some, some really highly practical stuff to try to get the financial pressure off of your life. But we've also got to give you the biblical principles, because if you're going to truly be delivered from, from, from this heaviness on your life, it's going to take more than just debt management and debt reduction and cash flow management to be able to know how to do it. You've got to integrate the biblical principles that God puts in his word into your life. And so every Sunday morning, we're giving you the biblical principles that relate to money so you can understand how to move forward. So last weekend, we gave you what I call the ownership principle, which is all about who owns the money in the first place. And the principle is that God is the owner and I am the manager. So every dollar that has ever passed through my hands is actually a dollar that is owned by God. Every possession I ever own is actually a possession that is owned by God. He looks to me and to you as the managers of his resources. That is the foundational principle that you have to understand and each principle is going to kind of build on the last one. That's the foundational principle that you have to understand if you're going to move forward with God and be delivered from financial pressure. Well, today we're going to give you a second principle, and it's a principle about giving and God's ability to multiply. So we're going to call this one the giving principle. And the giving principle says this, and I'm going to show you this to you this morning in God's word, that we give of our firsts by addition God gives second by multiplication. Now, I want to explain to you what I mean by that principle, and then I'm going to show it to you in the scriptures this morning. We are called by God, according to God's word in scripture, to take the first of what we have. Whatever, whatever is given to us first, whatever kind of resources come into our hands, we're supposed to take the first of what we have, not the last, and to give off of our firsts to God. When we give off of our first, what we do is we declare our trust in the Lord to be our provider and we show him that our priority above everything else in our lives, our priority is him and his kingdom. That's what happens when we give first. When we give first, we add something to the kingdom. So you just heard a story of a church member who added a few hundred dollars to the kingdom in terms of $10, $20, and $50 bills. There's a few hundred dollars of addition to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. 
But then what God does, what he shows us in his word that he does, is that God begins his multiplying process. And there's two levels of multiplication that come. There's a multiplication back to the giver. There's a blessing back to the giver that God shows us in his word that he gives, where he multiplies back into the hands of his good steward, his good manager, more resources. But there's also a multiplication that goes outwards, that somehow what we give has the ability to be multiplied and the impact is far greater than we could ever imagine with what we give. You see, we give by addition, but God gives by multiplication. You've got to understand this principle today. And I think if you absorb this into your spirit and if you believe this to be true, this is going to transform the way you approach the resources that God puts in your hands. You're going to start to become a giver if you aren't one today because, of what, because you're going to see what God can do. Now, I'm going to show this to you in Scripture this morning. And so to do this, I'm going to start off by taking us deep into the Old Testament. We're going to go way, way back in history, 3,500 years roughly, to Moses, when Moses is bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses is going to begin some teaching that is going to be carried on throughout the remainder of Scripture. And it's called, it's teaching around first fruits giving. Now, let me explain what first fruits giving is, Okay. So, so Moses here was leading the nation of Israel. They had come out of Egypt and they're getting ready to go to the promised land. Now, when they get to the promised land, God is going to give them victory over their enemies and they're going to push the people groups back in that land and God's going to give them this land. So they're going to inherit houses they didn't build. They're going to inherit fields that they didn't plant and they were going to have the blessing and the provision of God in their lives. The nation of Israel was. And so Moses on the journey had to give them all kinds of teaching on how to handle themselves. These former slaves who used to be slaves in Egypt are now going to have so much freedom in the promised land. Moses had to, had to teach them how to handle it. So one of the parts of his teaching, of all this teaching he gives, is about how to handle money. And he teaches them to give their first fruits. So here's what he says. Moses spoke these words in Exodus 34, 26. He said, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Now, when you read the Bible, one of the things you always have to remember about Scripture is it is written to ancient cultures. And those ancient cultures in many ways function very differently than our present day culture. And so we kind of got to remember or try to think of what it would have been like for people at this time period to have heard this teaching. So in ancient culture, everybody was a farmer. You were a farmer, your neighbor was a farmer, your brother was a farmer, your, 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 your mama and daddy were farmers. Everybody raised animals, everybody raised crops up out of the fields. The whole entire culture was an agriculturally driven society. So, so much of what you read in, in the Bible has agricultural references to it. And in fact, even many of Jesus' parables in the New Testament are agriculturally based references for this reason, because it's what the people lived in at that time. So what, what Moses is speaking to these people, he's saying, when you get into the promised land, you're going to inherit fields that you didn't plant. And crops are going to come up out of those fields. And he said, here's what you're supposed to do with the crops that come up out of the fields. You are supposed to take the first fruits, the first of what comes up out of the soil, you are to harvest it. And then there, were, there, there, there was this other concept of the tithe. The tithe is, was this Hebrew term that literally meant... Ten, a tenth or 10%. So you were supposed to take a tithe off of the first fruits, the first of what comes up. You took the best tenth. 
you would bring that tenth of your grain or your barley or your figs or whatever you had, and you would take it to the house of the Lord. You would offer it to God. And that food would either be burned up before the Lord or it would be given to the priests and the Levites who would eat it. That's how they would live. And you would, and you would take that there. And what, what would happen then is that God gave a promise throughout Scripture that he would put his multiplying hand on everything that the Israelites touched. Now, when we read these principles from thousands and thousands of years ago, we go way deep into the Old Testament to, to, to grab this one. We have to do some interpretive work to try to figure out, well, how, like, how do I apply this idea to my life? Because I'm not a farmer. I'm a pastor. You guys are teachers, and some of you are doctors, and some of you are electricians, and some of you are stay-at-home parents, and some of you are, you know, working in nonprofit organizations or working for government services. And so we're not raising crops anymore where we're called by God to, to harvest off the first of our crop and to take it to God. And even if we were that, we wouldn't, I, I don't want you bringing like big, you know, piles of grain and dropping them on the platform here, dropping them to the Lord. So how do we apply this to our modern day thinking? Well, the answer is that we have a different kind of resource. It's not grain from our fields and it's not multiplied animals. We have money. And the principle is the same, that there's a calling of God to take the first of what we have and to offer it to the Lord which is a declaration of his power and a declaration of our trust in his provision and also an honoring of his kingdom above everything else. And God promises that there will be blessing in response to this. So fast forward now 500 years in history and this first fruits concept, it keeps springing up all over the Bible. So actually, the, the, the first fruits concept, the, the words first fruits show up 31 total times in the Bible. 31 times. And they show up throughout the Old Testament, even flow into the New Testament. Right? So this isn't just an Old Testament concept. So here, 500 years later in history, the writer of Proverbs now writes this, right? Affirms the same idea. Sorry, in the wrong passage here. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So here we are, 500 years later, saying the same thing that Moses taught Israel. Now, the writer of Proverbs then begins to go a step further and explain the multiplying impact that God is going to have on the gift that is given if it is given from the first fruits. And so he goes on in the very next verse, he explains this. He says, if you give off those first fruits, verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So come on, everybody, if you've got a vat of wine at your house, you may have a problem, but it's going to overflow with some new wine because the Lord is going to put a blessing on. And you see the concept, the concept that you, is that you take the very first of what you have and, and, and you give. Now, the problem that we have is that what most of us actually do with our giving, and I'm going to tell you the truth here, it's going to sting a little, okay? Don't feel attacked, just, just let your guard down, just hear me. What most of us do with our giving is we actually give of our lasts. So we do last fruits giving rather than first fruits giving. And so what happens with last fruits giving is that, is that God gets prioritized and his kingdom gets prioritized absolutely last in line. So let's, let's work this out, right? Let, let's say that you've got a household income. We'll just use some easy numbers to work with. Maybe you have a household income of $60,000, 
So that means that every single month, $5,000 is coming into the family, right? So what we tend to do is rather than giving of the first of what comes in, what we're supposed to do is take that $5,000 and, 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 and tithe off of it, give off of it first to prioritize God and his kingdom. What most of us do is we pay out everything else first. So the taxes have to get taken out, right? Now maybe your employer just holds them automatically or maybe you have to set them aside in a tax account. Then the mortgage has to get taken out. You gotta, you gotta pay the mortgage. Then car payment number one and car payment number two have to get taken out. Then the groceries have to get taken out. Then uh, the, you know, the kids' sporting activities and all the gas in the car to, to get to the kids' stuff, right? And their, and, their, and their fees that they have, that has to get taken out. Then the cable bill gets taken out. Then cell phone number one, cell phone number two, cell phone number three, cell phone number four, cell phone number five all get taken out because everybody's got one now. Then the, the, you know, the vacation fund gets taken out. Then the, the, just the expenses just to have fun for the month, that gets taken out. And all of a sudden, what's coming in is, is this, this pot of resources that we have just, just gets chopped down and chopped down and chopped down, 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 chopped And what we get left with is a little bit at the end. And what we do with the little bit at the end is we ask the question, should I put this into savings or should I give it? Now, now hear me very, very clearly. I, I want to speak graciously to you about this. I don't want you to feel in any way attacked by what I'm about to say. But, but please hear, I want you to hear the biblical teaching. That is last fruits giving. Do you know how many times last fruits are mentioned in the Bible? Zero. Because God doesn't want us to have anything to do with that. He mentions first fruits giving 31 different times. And the problem is that when we give that way, what we are doing is we're actually dishonoring the Lord because we're, we're saying to him, our giving, which has our heart, is saying to him, God, you are in last place. Oh, I can stand in front of people all day long and pretend you're in first place. I can convince everybody around me that, God, you're in first place. But the reality is my giving is showing you that you're actually in last place in my life. Everything else gets priority over you. I don't trust you to provide. I don't trust you to take care of me. And your kingdom is just a lower priority than everything else in my life. And the problem with that is that when we do that, it costs us more than we can imagine. And I, and I want to show it to you. So, so fast forward another 500 years in history, and now we get to this prophet named Malachi. He's the last prophet of the Old Testament before the Bible goes silent and, and, and 400 years later the New Testament opens up. So this is the last guy speaking in the Old Testament. He's a thousand years after Moses has given this initial command to the Israelite. And, and now Malachi is being led by the Lord to, to, to correct Israel. Because Israel has forgotten how to give. Have you ever forgotten how to give? It's a very natural human thing to do. Israel forgot how to give. And so here's what happens in Malachi. God speaks through his prophet. And God says these words. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God's answer was, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
So here we have a nation who has, who has forgotten how to give, and, and they, they have absolutely lost track of what to do, and they have stopped tithing altogether. So, so many of them are either giving of their last fruits, or they are simply not giving at all in any way, shape, or form. And God said, now what's happening is that you, have, you, you are under a curse. Not only have you sacrificed my willingness, my desire to multiply back to you blessing and reward for your faithful stewardship of my resources, but actually my hand is against you. So your crops aren't growing like they should and pests are devouring them and you're not seeing the return on your labor that you should all because you have robbed me. That's what God speaks to the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to consider that for just a second. Let's just pause for just a moment. The reality is that so many of us are under significant financial pressure. Now, the, the reasons why we got to financial pressure, there's a lot of reasons to it. Sometimes it's debt. Maybe we bought too many things. Sometimes it's just mismanagement of resources. Sometimes it's because we're just in a job that's not paying enough. We really need the blessing to, to get a higher paying job, right? There's all kinds of things. But one of the things that can put us into financial pressure that we never want to talk about because it, just, it stabs us in the heart in some ways is that our own lack of giving can put us there. Because what we've done is we've communicated to God that he's absolutely last. And so God has said, okay, so my hand is against you then. And God doesn't put our hand, his hand against us because he hates us. He doesn't put his hand against us because he despises us. He loves us like crazy. He puts a, his hand against us because he loves us enough to correct us. Because actually God himself is a giver and the delight of his heart is to give. Think about it. He gave his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. He gave the Holy Spirit to fill up our lives. He gave us in the womb natural talents and abilities that we could use to serve him. He gave us spiritual gifts that we're supposed to use for the kingdom. God gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. The heart of God is to be a giver. So, so God, in his, in his, actually in his mercy, puts his hand against us so that we wake up and can come into right alignment with him and can become givers like he's a giver. I'm telling you that God wants to give. It's his heart. And sometimes we are holding back God's giving because we just aren't willing. And so God says, okay, well then, then, then you will not experience my blessing. You might even have some of my hand against you in some way. Malachi goes on in the same very passage. And, and God says, here's how you reverse the curse. Start being a giver of your first fruits. And so here's what he says through Malachi. He says, bring the whole tithe, that is a tenth of your fields. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And God said, test me in this. The only place in the Bible where he says to test him. Test me in this. And then here's what he said. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent those pests from devouring your crops. And the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations, they're all going to call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You see, the heart of God is that God wants to give. He is a giver. 
And, and we are called to become like his son, Jesus, which means that we are called to become generous. We are called to prioritize the Lord first. And what happens is, is if we are willing to give of our firsts, then what happens is, is, is we, we, we add something to the kingdom and then God says, okay, now I get to give. God gives second and he starts to give through multiplication. And you've already heard scripture tell about the multiplication back to the giver, but there's also this multiplication that goes outward. There are biblical examples of, 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 of a gift being given and it multiplying outward. The best example in this is scripture is the, is the, is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? So the feeding of the 5,000 is a super significant story. It is, it is one of the only stories in the New Testament that is included in all four gospel authors. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So what happens in that story is Jesus has these massive crowds of people following him everywhere. He's teaching. And, and, and all four gospel authors say that this particular day, there were 5,000 men who were following Jesus. Now, in ancient world, in Jewish culture, you counted just the men in the crowd I'm sorry, ladies, don't shoot the messenger. It's just how they did it back then. So what it actually means is you, if you add in the wives, you add in the women, you add in the children, you're probably coming to at least 20,000 people who are following Jesus around on this particular day. They have followed him around all day long. They're hot, they're sweaty, they're tired, and they need to eat. And nobody planned to be following Jesus that whole day, but they all just kind of kept chasing them around. And so they're, they're hangry. Every 20,000 hangry people are just, you know, their stomachs are roaring. They're just, they're, they're ah, you know, they, they, they want to eat. And so what Jesus does is he goes to one of his bean counters on his disciples team. He goes to this guy named Philip on his team. He says, Philip, hey, we got we to feed all these people. So, so how are we going to do that, Philip? And the only reason he does that is to test Philip and to show Philip that he can, that Jesus can do unbelievable things. So he knows that Philip can't come up with an answer. So Philip like scans the crowd, looks at all the people, starts, you know, counting up and estimating. And, and Philip goes, you know, Philip thinks with an addition mindset. So he starts to think how many, like how much adding would we have to do of food to be able to feed all of these people? And he comes to the conclusion that it would take a working man an entire half of a year's wages to be able to buy enough food for all the people. So he goes back to Jesus and basically says, you're crazy, Jesus. It would take us a half of a year's wages to give these people one meal. And then what happens is there's a boy who gives. John is the only author who talks about the boy. The other three gospel authors don't mention the boy. They just mention the gift itself. But there's a boy who decides to do some giving of his first. Here's what it says, verse 8 in uh, the book of John. Chapter 6, it says, another of his disciples, that is Jesus' disciples, his name was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. So he brings to Jesus, he, he says, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will this go among so many people? So, so, so Andrew, who is, who is Peter's brother, he comes up to Jesus and there's this boy who's willing to give, this boy has five small barley loaves. So imagine it's like these you know, little kind of gnarly, you know, probably overbaked, overcooked barley loaves. That's all they've got. And, and, then, and then there's like two small fish, right? And so, you know, you know your fish is small when people call it small. Everybody thinks their fish is bigger than it actually is. And he, but they've probably got two trout that are like this. And this amount of food is maybe enough to feed four people. So the boy probably was there with his family that day. 
you know, probably had his mom and his dad and his little sister somewhere, and he was called to, by dad to hold the food, and dad probably has no idea, you know, that he's taking the food to Jesus, because dad probably thought we're the only family of all these people who planned ahead and thought a little bit about our food needs later in the day. Nobody else planned, right? And so the boy comes with, with his, he comes with the first of what he has. It's food for his family. He gives it to Andrew. Andrew takes it to Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, now because you've given, now watch what I can do. He takes the food. He starts to give it to the disciples. They start to go around to the 20,000 and they break off bread and bread grows back. And they cut off a piece of fish and the fish grows back. And they just keep giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving. And they feed every single person in that crowd. Now guys, I want to do a little bit of math. I like math. You want to do a little bit of math with me for this morning? Okay. We've got 20,000 people in the crowd, presumably. We've got enough food to feed about four people. Somebody tell me how many times four divides into 20,000. Any math heads out there? There wasn't one in the 930 service. I see that we have one in the 11 o'clock service. The one person who knows how to do math. Good job. It's a 5,000 times multiplication on the gift. The gift for four was multiplied 5,000 times over. Somebody say, God is a giver. Come on, that's where you talk back to me. Somebody say, God is a giver. You got it. God loves to give. And he can even give 5,000 times what you give. And the giving isn't just back to you. The giving is outward to people you give to. Do you understand that if we actually believed that God had the power to do this, and not just the power, but the willingness and the excitement and the joy to do this, we would charge into church every week and we would be ripping hundreds and fifties out of our pocket, just dying for the offering time to come. So we can throw that hundred dollar bill down and be like, boom, half a million dollars to the building fund. Cause that's what 5,000 times hundred is. There's a little more math for you. You'd pull out a 50, boom, quarter of a million dollars to feed some orphans. Come on, here's another hundred, boom, a half a million to plant churches. Come on, we would walk into church so ready to give. If we actually believed that God not only had the power, but had the willingness and the joy and the delight in being a giver. This would change everything. We would never cease to have resources to do what God asked us to do. And so guys, I really want to challenge you this morning to move forward in your life in this area. And I, and I want to have empathy. I want to have sympathy and empathy for, for your situation. I realize that, that many of us walk into the room today and we are, we're, we're crushed by debt. And we're not seeing the, the income that we need out of our job. And we've been denied the raise that, that we need. And we're struggling. And our marriage is, 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 is having this constant fight and this constant tension that just exists under the surface. And money is a source of it. I realize so many of us are bringing that into the room. What I'm trying to tell you today is that you cannot outgive God. And that he loves to give back to you. And I'm telling you that if you will begin to trust God with what's first, that means taking the income that comes in and before anything else goes out, setting aside what goes to God in his kingdom. If you will be willing to start doing that first, you are going to watch God do what he tells you he's going to do in his word. I have personally experienced this. Personally. When Jan and I started tithing very early in our marriage, and I'm telling you the consistent story of our lives, I mean just again and again and again, 
We started tithing when our total household income was like $25,000. That's when we started our tithing journey. And I'm telling you, we have watched God over and over and over again raise our income in every job we've had, every house we've ever bought. We bought it way lower than we should have. When we sold that house, we sold it way higher than we should have. We've had income sources that have come in from other directions that we never expected, family businesses that have taken off and have blessed us. And I'm just telling you the story over and over and over and over and over again in our lives has been one of God multiplying back. And I'm telling you, you can experience this as well. But you also get to understand that God's going to multiply outward. You know what? The the reality is that if you were to give $100 in the offering today, it's not going to turn into a half a million dollars. I mean, it could, but it won't. But that doesn't mean God doesn't multiply it. Because what God does is he multiplies that in ways that are infinitely greater. It it, it is a piddly, measly thing to God to turn $100 into a half a million. God could take that $100 and he can turn it into a changed life who will forever be changed and will change generations of people after them. Do you understand that? And that is infinitely more valuable than the multiplication of just dollars. This is what God does with our giving. So guys, I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to leave you with a challenge today. I'm going to give you the 90-day tithe challenge. Would you trust God for the next 90 days of your life? For three months, would you just pray, God, could you help me? God, could you help me to step forward and trust you? Now, maybe you don't have the faith yet, and it's okay. I want to have grace on you. Maybe you don't have the faith yet to say, I'm going to take a tenth of what God has given me and give it back to him. Maybe you start with with 3%. And, and you give the first month and you watch God do something. Go, wow, man, I, maybe, maybe next month, maybe I could do 4%. And you, you, you watch God provide, wow, you know, maybe next month I could, I could, I could give 5%. And you start, to, you start to trust the Lord and see what he can do. You see, I've learned that I can trust the Lord. And this is why we can run a capital campaign in our church and give a tenth off of it. And this is why we can receive tithes and offerings in our church and give a tenth to go outward to missionaries and organizations because I've learned that I can trust the Lord. God will never allow this church to financially collapse. I know that because I've seen God provide. I want you to have that same level of faith. I want you to have that in your life, but you won't have it until you begin to give off of the first of what you have. Now, I'm going to show you just a very quick video. We have a brave lady in our church who is willing to tell her story on camera. It's her story of her learning to give of her first. Let's go ahead and turn our eyes to the screens. Hi, my name is Kathy Nichols, and this morning you heard Pastor Ryan talk about how God is the great multiplier. I am here to tell you how I know that story to be true. When I was in my mid-30s, I joined a Bible study group at the church I was in. And I uh, became, it was a very in-depth Bible study, and I became challenged to tithe. Uh, I had given when I felt like I had money to give. Uh, It was conditional on what I wanted to spend my money on. And I wrestled with this for probably three weeks when I sat down that Saturday evening to write the first tithing check and um, literally poured tears over it. The check was wet when I was done, but I could not ignore the call and the challenge. And so I did it. Um, I actually did it cheerfully and I have been doing it since. It is 
it was freeing. It was a freeing moment for me. All the burdens that I had felt about money were lifted away. I'm not saying it's been easy and that I have money coming out my ears because I do not. But that moment of answering the call and doing what God commands us to do was free. I saw God multiply uh, my what I gave, uh, not only to help others, but to help myself. Uh, it, it, I never needed money for anything. Uh, I, I always had enough to get by. I eventually dug myself out of financial debt with uh, the, the blessings that he gave to me. And so I, I am sharing this story in prayer that you will also heed God's call if, if he is calling you to tithe. Thanks together for Kathy's bravery to tell that story. You know, she told me off camera when we filmed that story, she said she was dealing with so much debt in her life and so much financial pressure. And when she gave that, steer, that, that, that tear-stained check, that started the journey. She said that God almost immediately opened up a new job for her, that, uh, that, that, like a second job that brought so much more income in. And that was the start of her journey of being able to get out of debt. You see, this is what God does, guys. This is what God does in ways that are mysterious and ways you can't understand. This is how God responds when we give of our first. And so guys, today we're going to worship the Lord. During this last song, we're going to worship the Lord with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And so you can go to give.pw.church today. You can use the green offering box that's, that's out there in the lobby to give today. Um, but I want you to think more broadly than even just our church. Yes, please be generous to our church. It helps us to move forward in ministry. But, but keep your eyes open these next 90 days. If you take this challenge, keep your eyes open for families in need and say, God, could you put me first in line to bless them? Keep your eyes open for missionaries who need funding. God, could you put me first in line to give and to help them? Keep your eyes open for other opportunities, even beyond our church, that God is going to use your giving and your generosity. And then let's get back together and tell some stories of what God has done to help us. Come on.